you know, I can't figure it out for the life of me, but every time I see that video, it really just gets me in gear for the message. I don't know what it is about that. It must have something to do with James and his straightforward, nuts and bolts, get it in gear approach to practical wisdom. I've really enjoyed these studies of James and, and just really love the way that James helps us realize that our faith in God is not just some kind of spiritual, abstract kind of thing, but it's really a physical reality that's cranked out in the way that we live our day-to-day life. Well, we've learned over these weeks that James was Jesus' younger half-brother and that he wrote this letter to Christ followers. And uh, something about these Christ followers, he says that they're scattered. And um, the reason they were scattered is because they were suffering from religious persecution. So the first people to have read this letter from James, many of them were going through some very, very difficult things. And I love the fact that James doesn't ignore that. He doesn't just say, buck up up and get over it. He acknowledges that they're going through trials, but then he goes on to encourage them that, number one, God is with them as they go through their trials, and also that God is at work in the midst of their trials, making them everything that he created them to be. You know, as I've thought about James and heard some of the things that he's been teaching us, I have to say he probably wouldn't be too popular these days. I mean, these days it seems like what sells is kind of this idea of follow Jesus and your life will be great. And usually that message is closely followed by a plea to give to my ministry and your life will be greater because Jesus has a Mercedes for your life. That seems to be what people are kind of going for these days. And and I really doubt that James would fill up the RBC Center. I mean, what with his, his message of things like, consider it pure joy when you face trials because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance needs to finish its work so that you'll be mature and complete and not lacking anything. I can just imagine a couple old ladies in the audience saying, Mabel? I don't care if he is Jesus' half-brother. I don't like what he has to say. It's depressing. I mean, I don't want to persevere. I want to prosper. That's kind of the message that many of us want to hear today, and it's really not the message that we've been getting in James. In fact, the truth that James has been telling us is a little bit hard to hear sometimes. I don't know about you, but when I'm going through a difficult time, I kind of want people to feel sorry for me. I want them to say, oh, poor Cindy. I hate that she's going through all this. And while I need that loving relationship kind of thing where where people kind of come alongside me, that's not all I need. You see, when I'm going through a difficult time, I also need somebody like James to come alongside me and love me, but to also say, hey, remember, this life isn't all there is. And you need to view these circumstances in light of the truth about God that you know. I need somebody to encourage me that not only is God with me as I go through these trials, but also that he is working in the midst of these trials to make me everything he created me to be. So this morning, we're going to hear more hard truth from James, and we're going to be focusing on James chapter 5. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, I want you to raise your hand because ushers have some. They'd love to give you one. Don't be embarrassed, but you'll want to, you'll want to get this so you can follow along. And if you don't have a Bible, please take this one home. Just consider it a gift from us because, you know, we could recommend great books to you, but we give you a Bible because we believe that what's in there is true. We believe it's the Word of God. 
and we believe that it contains the words of God. And it's the only book that we can guarantee that the author himself will be with you to teach you and to guide you and help you understand it and apply it to your life. So get a Bible if you don't have one. If you just need to borrow it, you can drop it off at the info booth later. Well, James, as I said, wrote this letter to Christ followers who were scattered because of persecution. And these people were a lot like us in that they lived in the time period between the first coming of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came the first time, he came down from heaven to earth to live as a man among men to show us what God is like. And he gave his life on the cross for our sins. He raised from the dead on the third day, and then he went back to be with the Father. And he promised when he went back, he, went, he promised that he would come again that there would be a second time that he would come. So these people that read James' letter, like us, lived in the time between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. And James gives us practical advice and practical wisdom on what we're to do while we're waiting for Jesus to come back. So let's see what James has to say. We're going to start at verse 7 of James chapter 5. He says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Patience. That is a pretty tough concept, especially for our culture, because we are people who want what we want when we want it, right? I mean, we want high-speed internet, we want fast cars, we want drive-through banks, drive-through grocery stores, drive-through restaurants, drive-through pharmacies, and my favorite, drive-through Starbucks, because we don't want to have to wait to get what we want. And, and people will even give you advice, and they'll say, don't pray for patience, because God will give you trials, Well, I would add to that, don't try to prepare a message on patience if you don't want to have first-hand experience of it. It is so comical, almost, sometimes it wasn't so funny, but over the past couple weeks as I've worked on this message, how many times I've had the opportunity to be patient with everybody from sales clerks to security guards. I'll tell you about the security guard thing. At 2.30 on Tuesday morning, we got a call from our son saying that his wife had gone into labor, and as it turns out, our sweet little grandson wasn't very patient about getting into this world, and in fact, they had to call an ambulance, uh, either that or a birth him on the kitchen floor. So they called an ambulance, and my husband went to take care of the other three kids while I went to the hospital to take the suitcase and the camera, because you can't have a baby without a suitcase and a camera. So as I made my way all the way over to Rex Hospital, it was one of those you can't get there from here kind of experiences. I had to drive 35 in Rollsville, because if you live anywhere near Rollsville, you know if you don't, you're going to have a conversation with the policeman, and your name's going to be in the wake weekly. And I didn't want that. So I drove 35, it was all I could do, and then I go down, hit every single red light, and then the DOT had the audacity to be paving Capitol Boulevard in the middle of the night, so I actually got stopped in traffic, and what were all these people doing out? They weren't having grandchildren, I don't know what they were doing, but it was crazy. It took me so long to get to Rex. Then I didn't realize that the first entrance of Rex, if you take that one, it takes you all around the whole entire hospital complex and the ER and everything in the heart center and the 
the bariatric and this and that and the other before you get to the birth center. And that's the one I took. So I finally got there, got the parking space, got the camera out, ran in breathlessly to the security guard, who I am not kidding, looked and acted exactly like Stanley on The Office. If you watch The Office, just picture Stanley. Okay, so I go in and I'm like, I'm Mrs. Whiteside, and they just brought my daughter-in-law in by ambulance, and I have the camera, can I please go up to labor and delivery? She's expecting me, she wants me to be there. And he looks at me and he's like, you're the mother-in-law? And I was like, hmm, there's some skepticism in his voice when he says that. And so I said, yes. And so he, very slowly, like Stanley, picks up the phone and dials the nurse's station and says, the mother-in-law of the lady who just came in the ambulance is here and she's wanting to come up. Can she come up? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ma'am, you're going to have to sit down and your son's going to come down and get you. And at this point, I was skeptical because I knew my son was busy birthing a baby. He was not going to come down and get his mother and the camera. But I'm a godly woman. I'm preparing a message on patience. So I sat down and was as patient, patient as I could be. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And meanwhile, my phone buzzed and I got a picture of my adorable grandson. A picture message taken with a phone, not a camera. And he was just so beautiful and um, I called our son, which you probably shouldn't do. That probably broke every rule in the mom-son thing. But I called him, and I said, they won't let me come up. Do you want the camera? And he said, they're supposed to let you come up. So in my sweet, southern, godly Christian goodness, as best as I could, I walked up to Stanley, and I said, here he is. See him? They had to take a picture with the phone because they don't have a camera because I got the camera right here. Can I please go up and see my grandson? He's like, oh, he's born. Oh, so he picks up the phone, calls the nurse's station, finds out, oh, yeah, by the way, they were supposed to let me up the first time. It was a, it was a miscommunication. So he's just reaching for that little sticker, that magic sticker that I can put on that will enable me to go to the elevator and go up one floor to labor and delivery. And he's just reaching for it, and something happened. A nurse came down, and I won't go into it, but anyway, he had to go out in the parking lot and take care of something while I'm standing there waiting for the magic sticker. And when he went out the door, I'm telling you what, my godly Christian woman, attitude went out the door with him and I was ready to storm the elevator without the sticker but I wasn't quite sure how to get to labor and delivery so I needed him so here was my beautiful grandson upstairs somewhere being born looking beautiful and adorable without a camera pointing at him and I was stuck in the waiting room have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you're at the mercy of somebody else and miscommunication and this and that and the other, and you feel like you're never going to get out of the waiting room? Well, crazily enough, in these waiting room times, that is exactly when James tells us that we need to be patient. I looked up the Greek word for the word patient that James uses here, and it's the word macrothemeo. And when I read it, I thought, oh, I bet that's a word we get macrame from, which I was totally wrong. But, I, you know, I mean, you have to be patient to do macrame or it'll tie you up in knots or something like that. But anyway, it isn't the word we get macrame from, but what it really means is long-enduring, forbearing, to bear up under. And it's derived from the word macros, which means long, and thumos, which means temper. So to be patient means to be long-tempered and slow to anger, to refrain from retaliation, even hitting security guards, and to refuse to lose heart. 
So James is talking about, about patience, and he uses as his example a farmer, a farmer who plants a seed and waits for crops to grow. Now, rain was very scarce in that part of the, the world where James was writing from and where these people lived, and farmers knew that at best they would get a spring rain and an autumn rain, and pretty much in between, it was dry. It was drought. And the farmer's goal, of course, was to harvest a crop. So the farmer didn't waste time grumbling about the lack of rain, but what the farmer did was just focused on the fact that he wanted to harvest a crop, so he did everything he could do to enable that to happen. He planted the seeds at just the right time, he tended the soil, and he pulled the weeds, and he patiently waited for the fruit of his labor to grow. Instead of complaining about waiting or instead of cursing the drought, the farmer focused on doing everything he could do to care for the garden as he hoped for rain and looked forward to the harvest. So from the farmer, we learn the principle that patience is possible when we have the right perspective. A farmer works hard while he waits for the end result. And instead of getting bogged down in the process, he focuses on the outcome. I mean, it would be pretty depressing for a farmer if he thought all he was ever going to do the whole rest of his life was plant seeds, pull weeds, plant seeds, pull weeds, plant seeds, pull weeds. He has to keep in mind that what he's doing now, the process, is going to reap a harvest later. And it's much the same way in our life of faith. We are called to cultivate seeds of faith and we are, are called to work in the field, wherever it is that God has planted us, with our eye on the harvest, with our eye on the fact that this isn't all there is, this planting seeds, pulling weeds thing, it isn't all there is. We can look forward to a time when we will be spending eternity with Jesus Christ. So think about your field. Think about where you're planted right now. You're in a family. You're in a neighborhood. You may have a job. Um, You're at this particular geographic location at this specific time in history. God has planted you where you are right now for a reason. And you have a sphere of influence whether you realize it or not. You were created to be in relationship with your creator. And beyond that, you were created to live your life in such a way to plant the seeds and pull the weeds and tend the garden in such a way that your life will attract other people to know their creator and then you can take as many of them with you as possible to eternity. So choosing to live with that kind of perspective, that eternal perspective, helps us to be patient in the process of the dailiness of life. Now James says it right here. He says, Jesus is coming back. Jesus never made a promise that he didn't keep, and he promised in John 14, these are his words, I am going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Because Jesus promised to come back and because we can trust him to keep his promise, we can take heart in the fact that this life isn't all there is. And our difficulties, what we're facing right now, that has an expiration date, and so do we. 
The problem is that it's so easy to get so caught up in the here and now that we don't even give eternity a second thought. Um, You know, we have to deal with the dailiness. We have to do our stuff day to day, just like the farmer has to plant the seeds. He has to pull the weeds. He has to tend the soil. But when we only focus on what's happening here and now, it limits our perspective. And when our perspective is limited, our patience is limited. And if we're really honest about it, most of us don't really, really, really act like we believe Jesus is coming back anyway. I mean, if we really believed that he was coming back and that he could come back any second, I don't think we would be all bogged down in the here and now like we are. I don't think we'd be wasting our time and energy and money just entertaining ourselves and taking care of our needs. I think we would be taking care of ourselves, but I also think we would be all about getting the word out about Jesus Christ and making sure that others know about him so that the people we know and love and the people we don't even know and love yet won't have to spend eternity without him. But as it is, it's been a long time since he left, and most of us have become complacent and lethargic. And, you know, this isn't anything new. Way back in 2 Peter 3, the people were asking Peter, "Um, where's this coming that Jesus promised? You know, when he left, he said he was coming back, and what's up with this? He's not here. And Peter said, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus hadn't been gone very long, and these people were already looking for him to come back. I mean, they were kind of watching for it way back then. So if they were watching for it that long ago, just think of how much closer we are to the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, there has never been a time in history when we have been closer to the return of Jesus Christ. You're closer than the people were in the first service. We're closer right now than we were when I just said it a second ago, because every second that we live, every breath that we take, takes us one step closer to the time when Jesus returns. So he is coming back. He promised he would come back. So what we are to do while we're waiting is to remind ourselves and each other to keep an eternal perspective. Like a farmer, we trust that a harvest is coming. So we work in the field and and we we work while we wait and we kind of, you know, watch for him to come back. I think it's good that we get together with other farmers. You know, you need other farmers around you to help you know how to tend your garden better and to point out, hey, you got a weed over there you probably need to take care of. We need to get with other believers who can help us maintain an eternal perspective and help us as we work in the field and reach out to other people who don't know Jesus yet. If we will maintain an an eternal perspective, we can wait patiently while we work diligently to tell other people about Christ. We are called to be patient as we wait for Jesus to come back. And James goes on in verse 9 to say that we also need to be patient with each other. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Are you a grumbler? Ever been impatient or maybe critical of somebody or, or uh, complaining about other people? Well, James issued a stern warning against such behavior, and 
I don't see an opt-out clause in there for Christ followers, and I don't see any kind of excuse that you can give like, well, I'm just not a patient person, so you just have to deal with it. Because, in fact, if you are a Christ follower, Scripture tells us that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart, and the Holy Spirit brings with him these attributes, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. God expects us to cultivate these attributes in our lives, and thankfully, he doesn't expect us to conjure them up on our own. What God requires, God supplies, and he has supplied us with patience. He supplied us with love and joy and peace, and he expects us to access what he has made available to us. Because of his spirit living in us, we can choose to be patient with people instead of grumbling against them. You know, when I grumble against somebody, what I'm really doing is I'm judging them because I'm saying, I'm right, they're wrong. And, and I'm a judge and I don't have all the evidence because I usually don't know everything that's going on in that person's life. And unfortunately, I also end up pulling in a jury most of the time because usually when I'm grumbling, I'm not just grumbling to myself, I'm grumbling to somebody else about that person. So I've pulled in all kinds of people and it becomes this awful, terrible thing. But if I would stop and choose to view that person that I'm grumbling against in the light of eternity, I would have to realize that, that, the, that the person I'm grumbling against is a person that Jesus died to save. And, and what I should do instead is ask God to replace my criticism with his compassion. You know, God is the judge. He's the only one that has a right to judge them, and he's chosen to love them instead. And Jesus laid down his life for them, so you think I could maybe just lay down my opinion for a minute if that's what it takes to bring them closer to the Lord? The truth is we can't grumble and be patient at the same time because grumbling cancels out patience and patience cancels out grumbling. Like the farmer, we need to carefully and prayerfully tend to the garden of our lives as we keep our eyes on eternity. We need to cultivate patience and, and harvest that fruit of the Spirit every single chance we get. We need to keep our perspective in times of plenty and in times of drought. And no matter what the climate, like the farmer, we can choose to be patient. In fact, because we have God's Spirit living us, in us, like the farmer, we can go beyond and be outstanding in our field. We can actually go above and beyond. So James tells us to be patient, and then he gives us yet another example as we move to verse 10. He says, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. Now, the prophets were God's spokesmen in the Old Testament who warned people of the consequences of their sin and also who foretold the first coming of Jesus, the Messiah. The prophets faced ridicule and persecution and sometimes even death, but they patiently persevered because they were so passionately dedicated to giving out God's message. From the prophets, we learned that patience is possible when we know our purpose. The prophets knew their purpose. They were called to instruct, warn, and offer hope to God's people. They obeyed God's call on their lives even when it wasn't comfortable or convenient. Their lives were full of purpose because they were committed to doing exactly what God called them to do. 
They believe God with all their hearts, so they put their faith in God's truth, and they put their hope in God's promises, even in the midst of ridicule and persecution. They were able to stand firm in hopeful endurance because they believed with all their hearts that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. They didn't know when Jesus was going to come. They just knew he was going to come, so they faithfully gave out that message, even when people laughed at them, even when people turned against them, and even when people threatened them because they considered that it was better to die trusting in God than to live trusting in man. They didn't know when it would happen, but they believed it would happen, so they faithfully gave out God's message, and they lived lives of purpose and patience. Like the prophets, you and I are called to persevere. Now, not all of us have the gift of prophecy. We're not all going to be foretelling what's going to happen in the future, but we all have a purpose. And uh, 2 Corinthians 3.20 tells us that our purpose is to be Christ's ambassadors as though he were making his appeal through us. We're his messengers. We speak his language. We represent him. As we move to the second part of verse 11, James gives one more example of patience and perseverance in the midst of difficult circumstances. He says, you have heard of Job's perseverance. In the King James, it says, you've heard of the patience of Job and have seen what the Lord finally brought to him. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, if you don't know the story of Job, I would suggest you go and read it. It's in the Old Testament before the book of Psalms. But in a nutshell, Job was a godly man who persevered through the loss of pretty much everything. He lost his health, he lost his wealth, and he lost his family. In the end, he ended up losing pretty much everything except his life and his faith. He endured unimaginable suffering and loss, and he was human. He questioned God. He even argued with God. But in the end, he didn't lose his faith in God. Even when the circumstances made it look like and probably feel like God didn't care about Job, Job refused to lose hope in God. He persevered through unimaginable trials and pain. And in the end, not only did he come to know God in a new and deeper way, but he also ended up receiving great blessing from God's hand. Job had faith to believe that God was with him. He had faith to believe that as a result of God's hand being upon him, that he would ultimately come forth as gold. Job said those words, I will come forth as gold. His perspective and his patience teaches us that patience is possible when we cling to God's promises. God hadn't forgotten Job, and Job hadn't forgotten God. God hadn't forsaken Job, and Job refused to forsake God. Even when his circumstances looked like he made it look like he may as well just curse God and die, Job chose to believe God and live. In the midst of sickness and pain and grief and loss, Job kept an eternal perspective that enabled him to hold on to God's promises and cling to God's purposes for his life. Recently, we found out that a young woman named Jamie, 
who's very dear to our family, very healthy young woman, got married a couple years ago. Well, Jamie suffered a stroke that left her paralyzed on the right side of her body. And at first, it didn't appear that she was going to survive the stroke. Well, she has survived it thus far. And Jamie is a Christ follower whose faith is very active and very strong. And Jamie has chosen to cling to God's promises. And in fact, she's actually chosen to cling to the very words that Job spoke. And she has made the the declaration, I shall come forth as gold. Her recovery is slow and difficult, and she's had to have surgeries and and rehab, and, and it's a very slow and painful process. But Jamie has chosen to be patient in the midst of her circumstances. Instead of complaining about her lot in life and griping about the fact that she was perfectly healthy and she took care of her body and why would this happen to her, instead of doing that, Jamie has chosen instead to trust God and to be thankful for every little bit of improvement that she experiences along the way. Every little step of progress, she marks it down and praises God for it. She's writing a blog that's called Come Forth as Gold, and I was reading it the other day, and listen to some of the things that she's thankful to be able to do again. Switching on a light switch, opening a refrigerator door, opening the dog's crate, pulling the storm door completely shut, closing the main door, and setting the deadbolt. Now, most of us do those things without a thought. We might even gripe about having to do those things sometime. But Jamie lost the ability to do them, and now that she's been able to work and practice and persevere and get to a place where she can do them again, she's chosen to praise God for these small accomplishments because they are great blessings in her life. Because Jamie is holding firmly to God's promises and trusting God's overarching purpose for her life, she is able to keep an eternal perspective even in the midst of her pain. Her patient faith is getting her through this trial, and it is an inspiration to everyone who's watching her. Jamie and many others even in this room can testify to the fact of what James said back in chapter 1 when he said the testing of our faith develops perseverance. When we choose to persevere with our eyes fixed on Jesus, we'll receive strength to get through the present trial, but also he will work in us to mature us and fortify us for the next thing that's going to happen to us. Inevitably, there'll be another trial, and this trial will prepare us for that trial. I have a friend whose office burned a few years ago, and she was telling me the story about the next day she went to to see her workplace, and and when she walked in, she said it was just a massive mess of melted office equipment and ashes where papers had been and everything. But she was really shocked because in the middle of her desk sat her coffee cup that she had left sitting on her desk the day before, and it was unscathed. So there was a fireman... um, inspecting, and and she asked him, she said, how in the world did this coffee cup escape this fire? And he said, oh, it must have been fired in a kiln when it was made. So since it had gone through that fire, this fire couldn't touch it. You know, the same is true with the trials that we face in life. As we patiently persevere, God strengthens us and matures us and gives us strength to make it through this trial, and he readies us for what comes next. Today's trial leads to tomorrow's maturity. The farmer, the prophets, and Job teach us that patience is a strength. It's not a weakness. 
Patience is not just a passive acceptance of of the circumstances where you just lay down and say, whatever, I give up, whatever. That's not patience. Patience is courageous perseverance that fixes its hope on God in spite of the circumstances. We can persevere through difficult times because we know that God is with us. He has promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. We can cling to his promises in full assurance that he has never broken a promise and he never will. Jesus is coming back. This life isn't all there is. And it's up to you and me to determine what are we going to do while we're waiting The challenge that James sets before us is to be patient, and we can be patient if we'll keep an eternal perspective, if we'll remember our purpose, and if we'll cling to God's promises. One of the ways that we keep an eternal perspective around here at LifePoint is that every week we take some time to share communion together. So the ushers are going to come forward, and they're going to have baskets, and the baskets are going to have these little communion cups in them. There's a little wafer on the top. You peel back the top layer, and there's a wafer, and then the juice is in the bottom. If you are a Christ follower, I would encourage you and invite you to take one of these and hold on to it, and we'll take communion together in a moment. If you don't know Jesus yet, if you're just kind of checking out this church thing, just let the basket pass by. And if you'd like to talk to us later after service about how to become a Christ follower, we would love that. So be sure and get me or one of the pastors. But as we, as we prepare for communion, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul was talking about this cup and, and this bread. And he explained that the bread symbolizes Christ's body that was broken and given for us on the cross. And that the cup symbolizes Christ's blood that Jesus willingly gave as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. And then Paul went on to explain that whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning, as we celebrate communion together, we are joining people down through the ages who have patiently waited for the Lord's return. You're joining people who can look back and thank Jesus for what he did for us on the cross, even as we look forward to what he's going to do when he comes back to get us when he returns. In just a moment, Joel's going to sing a song, and as he sings, I would invite each of us just to take some time before we participate in communion. Just take some time to consider the question, what am I going to do while I wait for Jesus to come back? Maybe you need to talk to God about your perspective. Have you really been living as if you believe he's really going to come back? Is your perspective so bogged down in what's happening to you right now that it's limited and your patience is limited? Maybe you just need to talk to God about how you can get involved with some other Christ followers who will help you maintain an eternal perspective. I would ask you to consider, are you living out your purpose? Did you realize you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ? What are you doing where you're planted to lead other people to him? Maybe you need to talk to him about the opportunities that that you need to be able to see in order to lead people to him. And finally, I'd ask you to consider if you're clinging to God's promises. 
I would expect that many people in this room are going through difficult times. And I just want to encourage you that Jesus is a promise keeper and he promised that he will be with you. He is with you right now. You can hold to his hand, you can cling to his promises and he will enable you like Job to come forth as gold. So while Joel sings, take some time to talk to God and then take the communion when you feel that it's time to do so. And just remember that because of what Christ has done in the past and because what we can trust him to do in the future, we can face today and each day with a new perspective as we carry out his purpose and cling to his promises while we're waiting.